Hello and welcome to Property Roundup on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on trends emerging. And this show is brought to you in partnership with Property District, changing the narrative of the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris White, Development Manager at Circle VHA. Chris, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much, Carol, for inviting me. Uh, most people listening today will be well familiar with Circle VHA, but for anyone who isn't, you might just um, you might just share the work that you do and the scale of operations uh, that you're at. Sure, yeah. Uh, so Circle VHA and our approved housing body uh, who have been operating within Ireland, in Ireland for over 20 years. We've got about just short of 3,000 uh, homes in our ownership or our management, um, and we work with a number of local authorities around delivering those schemes. Uh, currently within my own role, I manage the uh, development team um, and we are delivering, currently delivering a pipeline of just under 3,000 homes over the next three to four years. And that's through a mixture of turnkey schemes or direct build uh, construction projects within our own team. Very good. So that you're looking at almost a, or you're looking at a doubling in size. Um, it, where where around the country are these proposed developments? Yeah, so we currently operate in uh, what we say is the sort of East Coast. So we're from Lythe all the way down through the Dublin region, Wexford, Waterford, Cork, Limerick, Clare um, is where we're primarily based and where those games are at the moment. Um, And then we're kind of moving our way uh, gradually from the East over to the West through the Midlands at the moment. Um, So we look at any opportunities, opportunities within those locations and we've got a, a healthy pipeline of sizable projects across the sort of main cities and counties. Very good. And is the long-term vision for a nationwide service? Um, it, yeah, if, if we can get the right projects in the right location and at the, the scale that we need. So obviously, you know, delivering homes is the is the first part of it, but there's the long-term a strategy around you know management maintenance and uh, tenancy services as well so in order to deliver that effectively you need to have a certain number of units per county very good and um, chris what's your own background how did you are you you're obviously coming from a construction background yeah so look i suppose um i'm from the north originally and i did qualify in building surveying and came out in 2007 from college just at the height of the boom, moved to Dublin, uh, started working in project management, um, did a few years in project management. And then obviously, you know, the, the economy collapsed and construction dwindled. So I stepped out of uh, sort of the construction arena for quite a few years um, and then came back into it in 2017 and then started working with uh, within the HB sector. So previously to my role in Circle, I would have worked with another tier three HB. Very good. Um, actually, the approved housing body sector has changed a lot over that period from 2017. I mean, like we've seen such a, a ramping up of scale and delivery. So um, maybe talk to us a little bit about the the rate of delivery back in 2017 versus today. Yeah, sure. So one of the one of the key things I've noticed over the last couple of years is the the size of projects that local authorities in the department are are willing to support. So when I sort of first came into to the HB sector back in 2017, you know, a scheme of 40 homes was seen as being quite large. 
Um, and, you know, there's a lot of consideration about approving anything above that um, by the local authorities, where now we're getting into schemes of like 150, 200 homes. And then we've also got, you know, Crell has come online. So it's allowed us to do mixed tenure schemes, um, which, you know, in my view, it provides, you know, another option for people to, to rent within the market. Obviously, the private sector is there and is important that they uh, are delivering homes as well because you need those different streams. But kind of bring it back to those key differences. Back in 2017, there would have been a, a very primarily focus on turnkey. You know, you had a lot of sites that were left over from the crash that needed to be finished out. And one of my first projects that I ever worked on in the HB sector was a ghost estate and completing a ghost estate. Um, and in the last few years, we've transitioned from those turnkeys which are still an important part of delivery, but you're now seeing HBs do more construction projects and are being asked by government to deliver more construction projects as well. Um, which, you know, I think the tier threes have actively taken, you know, that that call to action and have have moved into that sector more over the last few years. Um, I think that's a really interesting journey uh, for the construction industry as well, because there's been such an outpouring, uh, an outcry, you know, particularly politically um, looking for the state to ramp up home building and I I think the approved housing bodies ramping up home building is almost like a, a step in that direction or it's almost um, fulfilling that criteria without putting the onus on the state that just doesn't genuinely have the capability or the expertise in this area in recent decades um, so I definitely want to come back and have a conversation about that just you touched on there uh, Krell so, Costrack, uh, you might just explain that to people because it, that's game changing for Ireland. And I think sometimes it's not people don't don't realize. So you might just talk us through some of the different fundings, um, you know, some of the things that have really transformed housing delivery in recent years. Yes. I mean, look, just to, to, to touch on, on Krell, which is, is, is cost rental. Um, it was an initiative brought in by government in the last few years, and it was to deliver uh, a type of tenure for uh, individuals who aren't eligible for social housing, um, but maybe nece- doesn't necessarily want to take on a mortgage or don't have the capacity to take on a mortgage right now. Um, and those properties um, are made available to rent, um, but the rents are at a minimum of 25% of the open market rents. Um, so it's it's a more... Um, cost-effective way of of renting for some people what it also allows as well is is a as a type of tenure which is more long term and so those properties will have to be made available for a minimum of 40 years uh under the the crowd financing um so you know there, there isn't that uncertainty of will my lease be ended will my landlord want to sell they're always going to be available for that type of tenure and what it allows people to do is with that sort of discount that they might have in their rents, it's an opportunity for them to save potentially for a mortgage if they choose to do so. And when they move on, it, that property then becomes available for someone else who is in that looking to do the same thing in terms of have a, a, a long-term tenure um, rental. Very good. And, um, you know, I, look, I, I routinely hear... I'm critical of some of the schemes, but there have been some fantastic schemes introduced under Housing for All. Um, I, I, I think there have been some less effective schemes, but the reality is I I worry in Ireland that we're not getting the 
balance that we need um, across all tenures. You know, so I, I don't believe it's a case of pitting any one, one type of delivery against the other. I think we need all types of delivery for all tenures for both public and private sector for both uh, sales and rental. You know, we, we just need all solutions across the board. So we'd like to see kind of a, a greater balance there. But I know that's probably part of a conversation for a larger day. And um, Chris, I'm I'm curious, what is the difference being a development manager in the approved housing body sector as opposed to in the private sector? Ooh. Um, I, I suppose the key thing for, for me is probably processes and procedures. Um, so obviously as an AHB, you're you're an NGO um, and you know a lot of your your funding streams is, is coming from uh, public sector funding. So you know there's there's key sort of um, criteria for a project to be delivered that has to be met internally as an organization and then with the with the department and our funders as well. Um, so it's a very it's very much more of a, sort of stage gate controlled process um and you have to make sure you got your necessary approvals in place before you can you can move to the to the next milestone whereas my experience of working in a sort of um the private residential sector now granted it was pre-2009 so you know people once they got planning the bank were obviously you know assisting them with funding so they were going straight to to construction and market as quickly as they can um so the, i think that's the the two key things i find within the hb sector it's a little bit slower getting through this sort of process and a good example was for me was um there's a scheme that recently completed for another hb that i used to work for and i would have tendered for the design team in 2018 and it only finished this year so it's taken five years to go from tender to completion of a I think it's about 20 unit scheme. Wow. Okay. So that is a long time. But on, on the other side of it, is there a greater predictability that actually you will be able to proceed? Because what we're seeing in the private sector at the moment is that um, you know, up until uh up on really until last year, all the focus was on trying to get the right staff and trying to uh, keep your materials flow but not very few people very few organizations in the private sector were worried about their pipeline their pipeline was full whereas actually this year we realized that the pipeline may have been full but it was more vulnerable than people thought so with the approved housing bodies is there a certainty around the pipeline that you have yeah i mean look if if, if um if an hb is going to tender on a project it's a certain i mean they've achieved planning the criteria for funding works so they know that the project is going to be delivered at that point it's a significant milestone when you're getting to that stage so you know in terms of the construction sector i would i would say to them like the hb sector you know or if they're if they're asking for pricing at that point then it's a guarantee that that project is going to start within six months of of it the tender being complete effectively very good and um, i i enjoy your social media posts i i think it's great that we're talking so much more about the process and the procedures and the everyday the day-to-day -day delivery I love that construction companies are sharing project updates I love that I get to look around their building sites see updates on things that just wouldn't have been shared 10 years ago you know and um, so it's good we're we're kind of demystifying the process we're helping people take a look uh, we're bringing them along in the journey. And I think that's so important. And I think in a way, that's why there's maybe a disconnect between people outside the industry who aren't seeing that day-to-day -day progress 
towards uh, delivering homes, they think nothing's happening when they hear a government announcement or something, where it's actually within the industry, we can see it. We've been shown the progress all the time. And that's something that didn't happen uh, really until the last number of years. Um, but one of the things you talk about is delivering good social housing at scale. And mm. I think that's really interesting because I, I'm not clear on what is good good social housing. So, you know, when you talk about delivering good social housing at scale, what do you mean? What makes social housing good? What makes social housing good? Mm, good question. Um, so I suppose from a, a personal perspective, and I, I might just go back to where I originally grew up, I'm... Um, I grew up in a place called Craigavon in Northern Ireland, which was a new town that was built in the 1960s and 70s. And they built social housing at scale, but it was the wrong type of social housing in the wrong location and the quality was poor. So my view, you know, if, if, if a social housing scheme is to be successful, what I deem, you know, good quality social housing is, is it in the right location? Is it supported by amenities within the community? Is it close to shops, uh, pharmacies, schools, um, those sort of sports halls, you know, the amenities that someone might need within a community is near places of employment as well, and public transport. Within the development then itself, the quality of the build, you know, has to be taken into consideration as well. And for me, it's like, are they, the units the right size? Are they laid out well? Um, are they taking advantage of the, the location that they're in? Is the build quality good? Have they a really strong energy rating? Are they low? Are they low cost to maintain and operate? You know, particularly you know over the last year we've seen uh, price rising in electricity prices and gas prices. You know, is it affordable for our tenants to actually operate the unit as well? Um, from, our, from a, an HB perspective, one of the key things for us is, is the scheme going to be cost effective to operate? So selecting the right materials at construction means that our operational costs down the line um, are more efficient. And that could be things from instead of picking, say, you know, painted render that we go for brickwork instead, because that isn't going to have to be repainted every five to 10 years. Things like the type of lifts that we put in our apartment complexes. You know, are they going to be, are we going to pick a, a lift that's going to be a little more low, low maintenance and more robust? Um, and even things like roofing, you know, what materials do we select for for roofs? Um, are they going to have to be replaced at, you know, 20 years or 30 years? And making those decisions at construction phase has an impact over the, the time frame that we operate and maintain that development. So those are the kind of, what I would consider the, the key things um, as good quality homes but you know it has to be right for the tenants as well um, and one of the key things that circular is starting to look at more recently is getting feedback from our existing tenants as to what makes a good quality social home what's their experience around living in our existing schemes and how can we take that information and feed it into our new projects um, the feedback mechanism is interesting because we don't do that enough. I, you know, in the past, certainly in the private sector, tenants were seen as something transitory. So therefore, you know, there there wasn't the same focus. But um, I, I'd like to hear more about the, the feedback. So we might come on to that. But first, you're touching on you're touching on so many areas there from uh, construction, construction materials, 
uh, obviously sustainability, which is a huge focus, right into placemaking. And they're all very different things. You wouldn't think, you know, that that in a way they might actually be not necessarily competing, but, you know, possibly conflicting. So, for example, in terms of construction materials, obviously, uh, irrespective of the sector in which you're building, um, anybody building over the past two years has been subject to the same forces, the same pressures. Um, and that has definitely had an impact on the supply of materials and the cost of materials. But in terms of quality of build, is that not something that our regulations, you know, just is compliance not an assurance of quality at this stage? It has. I mean, if you look at, you know, what was built pre-2000, say, 2009 versus today, you know, the, the quality is is definitely vastly improved um, over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and BCAR has had an impact in terms of the regulation side of it as well. Um, I suppose from us, from our perspective as, as an AHB, um, when we talk about that is, you know, if if we capture everything during the construction phase and, you know, make sure the quality is right at that point in time, we won't run into problems down the line because, mm-hmm. you know, even for in the most simplistic terms for us, we try to minimize the amount of say defects in the initial couple of months that a, a building is occupied and we see a, a successful project if it has the minimal amount of, of defects. And, you know, that those are simple things like, you know, maybe the heating maybe doesn't work correctly first time or a door is stuck because it hasn't been fitted properly. Those are minor ones. Um, but it's important that we get the quality right from the get-go. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you touched on size, and this is some bit of a contentious issue, you know, size and layout and dual aspect. You know, these these have all been contentious issues over the last number of years. Uh, but in terms of size, are we overcorrecting? Because we know the household size, we know that the demand is for smaller units. And, you know, is that something that, that you would, is that is that kind of, a, I suppose, something you would buy into? Or do you think we still need to be, delivering larger, larger sized units. I mean, for example, would Circle VHA um, have an interest in one bed uh, and expanding the one bed stock? Or do you think it has to be a minimum of two bed? Oh, no, we we definitely, you know, you can see it within the local authorities. And I think Dublin's demand for one and two beds is around 50% of their waiting mm-hmm. list at the moment. So our, our what we deliver is generally driven by what's the waiting list with the local authorities. So if there's a higher demand for one and two beds, we certainly do them. Um, but within, say, the size of a one bed, it doesn't necessarily have to be oversized, but it has to make really good use of the space that's being provided and making sure there's adequate storage. Because the the stuff that comes with everyday living, you know, having that additional space and putting be able to put it away can make a, a space so much more useful in terms of being a home. Yeah. In, in, in terms of storage, I think that's something that, you know, I, I, I've lived in other European cities and apartment living there is completely different than what it is in Ireland, you know, because yes. apartment living comes with uh, basement storage. You know, it, it comes with lots of facilities. It comes with built in storage that Irish apartments just traditionally didn't. So in terms of uh, in terms of design, how are you designing in space to small areas? So it's it's a it's a good question. So we have a new scheme that's that's currently on site at the moment, which is Railway Court in Dublin One, and it's a forty-seven apartment complex mixture of one, twos, and three beds. 
And we were taking a look at, you know, our, our one bed units the other day that are on the ground floor, they're level access, their own door. Um, so they come straight off the street. And what we've done is in order to make more efficient use of space, we do have an oversized cupboard in the hallway, which you can hide everything that you need to hide. But beyond that, to make it more accessible for that type of property, because it's a one bed, we've we've created access from the bathroom into the bedroom. So if there is a person who has mobility needs or might need a hoist in the future, we're not having to tear down a wall in order to make that happen. We've, we've built in future redundancy already within that unit. Oh, that's a really interesting one. What's the timeline on Railway Court? It's due for completion in April 24. Lovely. Actually, it would be great uh, if, if you're if you're uh, offering tours of that location before you open. Actually, it'd be great to get a look around there because actually, again, we need to think about how we're configuring smaller spaces, It's not about larger spaces. We just need to get much smarter in terms of some of the smaller spaces because we know that that's where the demand is. So um, look, if you're if you're open to it, we'd love to take a tour around that um, as you get closer to completion. Just again, an oversized hallway. I think every home needs an oversized hallway, irrespective yeah. of the number of bedrooms that you're in. Um, but in terms of the other areas you touched on um, around amenities and placemaking, you know, um, one of the things that we know was done wrong in past decades was, you know, not having this proper integration of um, public and private housing within the, yeah. the same community. And I think so much work has been done to address that over the past decade and a half that, you know, that should never be a problem now. However, we are seeing um, an increase in uh, the level of community objections to any form of new mm. development coming into their homes. So how are you navigating that, you know, to make sure that, that you know, that you're bringing in those community spaces and the amenities, but that you're able to integrate well with the existing communities? Yeah, I mean, look, what we've done with our own direct build projects is that we've actively engaged with the community. Um, and we're we're going through um, recently on a new scheme where we're we're going pre we're pre planning at the moment for thirty five um, older person apartments within a within the Dublin region, um, and we've had our first consultation with the local residents, local community, to say this is our concept. What do you guys think? We'll take we're taking that feedback away, and then we're going to have a second consultation to say we've listened, and here's the changes that we can make if we if they're if we were able to within sort of the the rules of planning and you know the density and any other bits and bobs that might have an impact on a on a grant of planning and i think it's a good way to you know understand what the community concerns and fears are around a a social housing scene coming into place because one of the things i find doing this job over the last couple of years and i've done a number of community engagement events is there is always concerns about social housing coming into an area um, and into a new location. But once the scheme is built, tenanted in operation, very rarely are any of those fears realized. You know, it beds in and just becomes part of the community. Um, so my feeling, my belief is engage, listen, understand what their concerns are. If it's a anything from a design perspective, then you try and mitigate that. Where if it's an issue because it's social housing, and then we try to educate around how we tenant, how we manage our properties, how we're responsible for maybe the maintenance and landscaping, you know, and there's a point of contact within our organization. There are any issues that you you can come to us in the future. Um Chris, I love how you've articulated that. Do you know the old um the old adage of to a person with a hammer, everything's a nail? 
Um, mm. Well, I am definitely someone with a hammer when it comes to community engagement. I truly believe, because I've seen it in practice over the last two decades, that despite the fears of project owners, community engagement can only improve a project. And that yes. actually a lot of cases, it is around fear, irrespective of the reasons being given. There's an underlying fear at the, you know, um, that that is really at the heart of a lot of uh, resistance and education. Like engagement is absolutely number one, you know, listening, huge. But education has to be a huge part of it. And that has to be two way. Nobody, no community wants to be talked to. They no. want to be spoken with um, yes. and, and that listening. So actually, you've articulated that really well. And it's it's something that I hope project owners will take away from the call today because that fear, that fear doesn't just exist among the community. The industry has a fear of engagement as well. And I can genuinely say after two decades that I have never seen community engagement make a project worse. It has only ever made a project better. But it requires a really honest approach and an open mindedness on both parts. And it can take a bit of work to get those minds open. And, you know. That's that. That's an important first step. But I'm really glad you brought it up today. Um, speaking of the industry, and I'm conscious of your time. Um, I don't want to delay you much longer. But you know, I, 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 we talked. We started this interview by talking about um the scaling up of delivery by the approved housing body sectors and and circle as part of that. Um, talk to me about those relationships between the approved housing bodies and contractors because right now that's key to delivery. Yeah, I mean, look, um, you know, we're we're in a as our CEO says, we're in the midst of a housing emergency, um, and you know, we need to ramp up and scale up our delivery as quickly as possible. Um, one of the key sort of things, you know, I, I believe that there is a there is a really strong and good relationship between contractors, developers, and AHBs across Ireland right now. We're all working together for the for the common goal to deliver additional homes across the country. So I think it's important. Um, I also think as well, if you look at say maybe the 10 top 10 home builders in Ireland, I actually think some, I think as AHBs, we might need to look at how they're delivering at scale and how do we replicate that within the AHB sector? I think that's something that we should start looking at. Um, if, you know, AHBs are expected to deliver more construction projects over the next few years. Uh, I think that's a really interesting one. And, you know, you refer to um, John Hannigan's call there for a housing emergency. He's not the only person in the, in the industry, both public and private sector, um, to call uh, to call our housing crisis a housing emergency. And I think sometimes that, that gets slightly watered down. But actually, there's a huge difference politically. And, and if, for the state, if the state were to recognise Ireland's housing crisis as a housing emergency that could actually be really game changing not in the way that politicians talk about it being game changing but it could actually change delivery by um bringing in some interim measures in terms of planning infrastructure delivery you know some of the supports needed around it so actually just because you've touched on it there i'm going to take the opportunity we we talk about it routinely most Mm. weeks on the show here we have somebody calling for Ireland's housing crisis to be declared an emergency. And we absolutely second that. So I think it's really important every day we talk about the difference between a housing crisis and a housing emergency. Right now, our housing crisis is recognised as that. But actually, 
we may need it to be recognised as a housing emergency if we really want to say if we wanted to jumpstart on our uh, housing for all targets. We know there's great work being done, mm-hmm. but there are still blockages in terms of planning, in terms of infrastructure delivery that at some point may even need to be bypassed for a period of 24 months just to get stuff done. I, I would agree. And, and and my view is more working on the ground. So I can see roadblocks of what it takes to get a, a project from looking at a site to completion. And, you know, the key things for, for us is the planning, utility connections. You know, if we're working with a developer, getting the part five agreed so we can progress to, to contract um, and, and get the developer going. So, you know, where those roadblocks, you know, I think you're right, temporarily for 24 months that we take a view of, do we, how do we mitigate or how do we step those aside and, and just to, to ramp up building over the next few years. And definitely, you know, planning is is an issue. If I look at, you know, Circle's pipeline and where we're talking to developers who are going in for planning, we've had a number of projects that have gone to the board or they've been taken to the high courts because it was an SHD. And that has delayed our pipeline and what we've been able to deliver. Um, and one of our schemes, which is literally five minutes from my house, is still in the high court over an appeal that was taken on the sep- second application. So it's had two grants, but been taken to the high court both times. And that's 150 homes that have been stalled. And other HBs are experiencing it as well. I think if you if you actively ask the HB sector, like if they were to look at their pipeline, how many got stuck in the planning process and like the time, the extra time it took to get it through, how quickly could we have delivered if that hadn't happened? Yeah. And look, um, Paul Mitchell of Mitchell McDermott has has shared some research in terms of um, the number of units stuck in judicial review. It's something we've discussed many times here in the show. We know this is a problem. Um, unfortunately, it is one of so many problems that uh, the priority in addressing it maybe is not there. But I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, some of the common challenges, irrespective of the sector in which you're delivering, comes down to planning and utility connections. So um, that's something that the upgrading of Ireland's housing crisis to an emergency might actively address. So um, listen, Chris, thank you so much uh, for being so generous with your time and expertise today. And certainly we would love to take a visit to Railway Court as you're nearing completion. I think that'd be a really interesting exercise to see. Um, But for now, that's all we have time for. Uh, Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Uh, That was Chris White, Development Manager at Circle VHA. And my thanks to Katie Talon and the production team at Hear Me Roar Media today. And indeed, thanks to our show sponsor, Property District, changing the narrative of the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out all of the other real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. And thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Property Roundup on iProperty Radio. 